Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for having us here. It's a great privilege to be here this morning. I just wanted to thank you as well for the use of the building during the youth conference recently. It was a wonderful time to see so many young people coming together to study the Word of God together, to sing, to fellowship, and just to encourage one another. So thank you so much for the building. I'm sure your chairs didn't look the same the next Sunday morning when you came in here. <laughs> I said, I know they're going to square. Esther said around three rows, so I said, well, we'll see what happens. But anyway, thank you so much. The kids had a great time, and it was a really profitable time together. Maybe before we go any further, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord, what an amazing thought that we can come into your presence through him. Lord, we thank you for your son and for the gift of salvation that we can have through him. And Lord, we just ask that you may speak to each heart here this morning, Lord, through your word. And we just thank you for the opportunity that we can have to come in a free country like this to worship and to praise you. In your son's name, we give you thanks. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them to Psalm 143. Psalm 143, the psalm that's been on my heart recently, and actually as I was sharing at the youth conference, I shared a, a few of the verses uh, with the young people there, so this might be a little bit repetitive for some of them. depends if they were awake while I was speaking then. Uh, but it's really been on my heart, and there's a lot of uh, thoughts that will come out of it. I just wanted to share a few of them with you this morning. So we'll begin reading through the psalm, Psalm 143, beginning at verse 1. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness, as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee, as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me. Lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me to the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercy, cut off mine enemies, and destroy all them that afflict my soul, for I am thy servant. And the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his word. It's interesting with the, with the Psalms, uh, as we have information, to go back and see what was going on at the time. And sometimes it's not always perfectly clear exactly what was happening in the life. But here we're told that it was written by David. And David, he was a very interesting character, wasn't he? Uh, you have someone that somewhere in his life, there's likely something that you can identify with. And the young people have heard me say this over and over. I just love reading the scriptures, and especially as you go through the Old Testament too, because there's somebody in there that you can identify with. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you're old, young, short, fat, 
they have everybody in there. And there's something about them all. There are some that were seen to be great men and women of faith that, wow, you couldn't seem to turn them away from God from anything. There were others that, and my favorite is always Gideon. Where did Gideon, where was his great faith? He was hiding somewhere down. And he was speaking out once in a while, doing his wheat. He wasn't even in where he should be doing the wheat. Where was he doing it? He was doing it in a vineyard, in the wine press, just to really hide. And this was the great leader that God would raise up for the people of Israel. So you see this. And so you come to the life of David, and he had all sorts of things going on in his life. But God said he was a man after his own heart. But at this time, there was this one of two times that, uh, as you look through, the common thought is that it was at a time perhaps when his son, Absalom, had turned against him. And his son wanted to overthrow his kingdom. Now you, any parents out there, I mean, our desire is to see our children grow up. And as believers, we want our children to go on for the Lord. So now we see David. His son has turned against him. And it's not just that he's gone away from the Lord. He's turned against his father, and he's turned against the kingdom, and he wants to overthrow the kingdom. From a parental standpoint, this is a pretty low point, you might think, in his life, isn't it? And you can understand where some of these thoughts start to come from as we read through this a little bit. And it helps to have the background sometime. So he starts off, first thing, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. My faithfulness, answer me, and in thy righteousness. And as I look at my own life, before I can pray to God, the first thing I have to look at is, is there anything between God and myself? In our own human relationships, if I want to have a discussion with you, and I come up to you casually, hey, how's it going today? Well, you know what? If I was the person that just seriously offended you yesterday, and you're really upset with me. And I come in this morning, how's it going? What are you saying? Are you kidding me? That's how you're greeting me after you treated me like that yesterday? Maybe we should talk about that first. In your relationships at home, you and your spouse or one of the kids, if you've had a big fight, you're not going to, it's not all happy-go-lucky, is it? We don't have that conversation rate. Why? Because there's something between us. And God gives us these analogies of our relationship with him how much more is that? If there is something between myself and God, how do I come to him and ask for things, look to him for things? And the first, most obvious thing that's between us is sin. When I'm born, I'm born as a sinner. And I can't just come to God as his child because I'm not. I'm a sinner. And it's not that he doesn't want me to come to him. He desperately does. It's the will of God that all would come to him. But he says in Isaiah chapter 59, it says the Lord's hand is not short that he can't save. It's not that if I could just reach them, it's that that's not it at all. He's able to. He said his ear's not heavy. It's not that he's partly deaf that he can't hear. But it says your iniquities, your sin, they've separated. They've come between you and God. And so that even though his hand is plenty long, that he can reach down and save, and though his hearing is perfect, that he can hear us, there's sin between us and God. And that has to dealt, be dealt with before we can come to him and before we can pray to him and have that fellowship and relationship with him. And this is what he is waiting for us to come and do. It's made as simple as possible. We read in the book of Acts, what does he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and... Follow 10 more steps. 
and go to church and make sure you do No, thou shalt be saved. That's as complicated as it gets. Now, there's a wonderful myriad of things that we enter into as a result of that, but that's as complicated as he makes it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Then I can come to God. As a believer, as I come to him, I'm a child of God, but now think of that family relationship that we have. He tells us in the Psalms, just back a little bit in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity, so if iniquity is between me and God, i got to deal with that first. Just like our family or our friendship relationships. If there's something between us, it's really difficult to have that open communication, isn't it? I can't come to God if there's sin that's above, in my heart, above that relationship with God. We deal with that and we move on. As we come this morning, we sit around the Lord's table. If there's sin in my life, it's really difficult for me to come and to worship God and to give thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ when I have this sin in my life before him. We're told, deal with that first and come. He wants us there. He doesn't say, don't come because there's sin in your life. He says, deal with it and make sure you're there. If I regard inequity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But he says he knows, and we see this in other Psalms as well, that David is so confident he knows that the Lord will hear him. And what's the next line? In thy faithfulness, answer me. How do I know someone's faithful? It's the only real way I can know if someone is faithful. I have to prove it for myself, don't I? You can tell me that so-and-so is a faithful employee. And you know what? There's one of two ways I can know. I can either hire them and I can see how faithful they are, or by knowing you, you've experienced it, and I can rely on that. So I open the Word of God and I see God's faithfulness in the lives of other people. I can look around me and I see other believers and I see the faithfulness of God in their lives. And then for myself, I prove God over and over, time and time again, that He is faithful to me. And this is what David says. God, I proved you over and over. I know you're faithful. And so in your faithfulness, answer me. And in your righteousness. He's not going to give us what we don't need, what we don't deserve. He says, in thy righteousness. Verse 2, he says, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. If I'm going to come before God and stand before him as my judge, what defense do I have in myself? I have nothing. I have nothing to stand before him. We talked about this actually at the youth conference. The theme of the weekend was, are you ready? Are you ready to meet God? Because he's either, you're going to meet him as your judge, or you're going to meet him as your savior. And it talks about that we're, as believers, I'm looking for him. I'm waiting for him to come. It's an anxious anticipation that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. I want him to come back because he's my savior, and I love him, and I want to see him. But if that's not the case for you, he's coming as your judge. And you're going to stand before him with absolutely no defense. We have no defense in and of ourselves to stand before God. We can't rationalize anything we've done. We can't pay for our own sins. So we are going to have to pay for them. And he's going to judge you, and you are going to pay for them. But as my Redeemer, I can't wait for him to return because I love him and I want to spend eternity with him. And so David makes it very clear. He goes, none of us can stand before God like this. 
He's a perfect, he's a holy God. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Lord Jesus Christ gave his life to die for each and every one. And he's the only mediator between God and man. It's the only way to God. It's reiterated in John chapter 14. He says, I am a way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no dispute about it. There's no interpretation of that. And we hear this commonly from people, don't we? Well, it's the way you're interpreting that. I don't know any way to interpret I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You know, if I'm standing at my door of my house and you want to come in, and I say to you, there's no way you're getting in except you go through me first because I don't want you in my house. How are you going to interpret that? Now, there's not too many ways you're going to interpret that. You don't sit down on my front steps, well, let's talk about this. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear. There's only one way you're getting into my house. Well, this is even more so. How are you getting into heaven to see God? There's only one way, he says. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, it's through me. I've given my life. I've sacrificed it for you. That's the only way you're coming to see God. Verse 3, he says, The enemy hath persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. You know, you can see in the life of David so many trials that he had in his life. So many things, and some of it he did bring upon himself, didn't he? And we certainly do that for ourselves. Everything that happens to us, it's not because somebody else did it. I was in my office this week, and I happen to be a Montreal Canadiens fan. And a man comes in, and he goes, just say it, just say it, because they played Boston the night before. But what's the first thing out of his mouth? You know those refs. Boston didn't have a bad game. Montreal didn't have a good game. Those refs. If they hadn't given Montreal the game, it wouldn't have won. Why? We've got to blame somebody. It's somebody else's fault. It can't be mine. I never bring anything upon myself. It's the world around me. It's the circumstances. Everything else. There's something else to blame. And indeed, yeah, sometimes there are other things to blame. We certainly bring some things upon ourselves too, don't we? And so here, David, you can begin to see that the circumstances that he's in, you know what? They are challenging. And so he is struggling. And he says, you know, my soul is persecuted. I feel like I'm brought way down. And we have those circumstances sometimes too. Different from his, but we have challenging circumstances. And in verse 4, he says, Therefore, because of all these, my spirit is overwhelmed. He said, my heart within me is desolate. What a feeling of despair, despondency. He goes, it's, it's just too much, God. Like all this overcoming over me. What am I going to do about this? And we're going to have these feelings. But the important thing is, then what? Each one of us, we're going to have different reactions to these. But it's... Okay, now what, though? Do we stay there? And then do we begin to ignore the things around us totally and totally focus on ourselves and totally dwell on the circumstances? 
and stop looking at God? Or do we stop as a result of it? And what is the result is it from there? Because we can land in the same position as David was, but we have to look, what is our response? Whom then do we look to? And so what is it that David then does in verse 5? He doesn't say, well, let's dwell on those circumstances a little bit and see who we can blame. Who got me here? How did I get in this position? What did I do wrong? He totally takes his eyes off that, and where does he put them? He starts looking up. And you know what happens when you look up? I stop seeing all the things around me because I'm looking up. And if I'm looking to God, all those other things around me, I stop looking at all them, don't I? And we start looking to God. And so he gives a list of things. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. We go back to verse 1. He says, this is the faithfulness of God. And I'm going to remember all those things so I can prove it to myself over and over so that as he approached this circumstance, I remember how God brought me through before. I remember how he brought other people through before. In the word of God, I look around at some of the people here. And I know that they've had challenges in their life. And I know that God brought them through it. So I'm going to look back and think about that as well. And that's what's going to help to bring me through. I meditate. I remember the days of old. All the way that God had dealt with the people of Israel. He says, I'm going to remember those things as well. You know, meditation in today's society, they have about half of it correct. Because when we think of meditation, what is it? We sit in some sort of contortion pose that I could never get into. And what's the idea? Is that we clear our minds, right? And that's, unfortunately, where meditation tends to end. Here, what is meditation? Yes, get rid of all the thoughts that are in your minds, but now what? Don't leave it empty. I don't want an empty head. I want it full of something. But I want it full of the things of God. That's meditation. That's something that I can actually do something with. I don't just want to cast everything out of my mind and then stand up and go, okay, I don't know what to do next. I want to stand up and have some promise. I want to have some hope. I want my mind filled with the things of God. And this is why we come week by week, that we encourage one another to fill our minds and our hearts with the things of God. And so this is what his meditation becomes. It's not that I just emptied my mind, I forgot about my circumstances, and I hope I'm going to do better. No, I'm going to look to God, and I'm going to fill with the things of him. In Ephesians chapter 3, I'm just going to read a few verses there. You can just listen if you like. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And this is Paul writing the Ephesians here. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in your man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, height, where does that put me? If I have the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, where am I? Right in the middle. What a better place could I possibly be? This is meditation, that I may look around, that Christ may dwell 
in me and all around me, because I am indeed in him. This is meditation. And he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. A little further on in Ephesians, he tells them, at the time, he says, be not drunk with wine, whereas we're in is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Because you want something that's going to last. If you're having troubles and you turn to wine, you know what? You're going to forget about your troubles for just a little while, aren't you? But you're going to wake up with, well, more than you had before you started the drink. Why? Because, well, first off, you get a headache and everything else that goes with it. But it didn't help the circumstances at all either, did it? He said, you want to be filled with something. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's where you're going to get some help. Now you're going to have some hope to go on. It didn't just numb the pain. It took it away. I don't want to numb. I don't want to take care of the, the um, symptoms. I want the cause of the problem to be gone. I want it dealt with. He goes, there's how you turn to God. There's how you meditate on him. He says, I muse. What's the word muse think? What do we think of? Well, we usually think of the opposite, don't we? Which is amuse. What does amuse mean? It means to not think. That's what we want. We want amusement? I don't want to think. I just want to put my brain in neutral, and I want somebody else to entertain me. And that's what amusement is. That's what it means, is to not think. Because this is not what I want. I don't want to put my brain in neutral. He goes, I want to muse. I want to think. So what my, when I have time, that I don't have to specifically think about somebody else, I'm not at work, I have time to kill, I want my mind to wander to the things of God. That's what's going to encourage me. It's not when I empty my mind, it's when I fill my mind with the things of God. Verse 6, he says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Because this is not a passive request. It's not God, you know, if you see fit, sometime, maybe, we'll get to it. And I walk away. You know, when I ask you for something, what do I expect? If I ask, and I use this illustration the other day, if I ask somebody to throw me a football, and I go like this, What's going to happen? <laughs> if they're kind, they're not going to throw it. <laughs> but if they do, I'm going to have a really sore nose, aren't I? Why? Because I'm not going expecting it. If I say, throw me the football, I'm ready for it. I want it. I'm anticipating it. So here he calls out to God, and what does he say? I'm ready. I'm stretching out my hands. I'm desiring it. And he uses the analogy of thirst here. And we all know what that feels like when your mouth is just dry and parched. And I need that drink of water. He goes, I'm waiting for it. This is what I want. I'm calling out to God. God, I need it. And I'm ready for it. I'm waiting for it. And I'm anticipating it. He goes, this is how we're to ask. Why does he do this? Because he knows God is faithful. He's seen God do this before. God's proven it to him. This is God, you're faithful. I'm waiting for it. In anticipation, I'm stretching out my hands before God. Hear me speedily. He says in verse 7, My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like them that go down to the pit. You know, our timing 
is not always God's timing. We want typically everything right away, don't we? Don't have a lot of tolerance uh, for delays. What do you do when you sit in traffic and there's a line? What other route can I take? I don't want to sit there. But he says, God, hear me speedily. And what does he not ask for? He doesn't tell God, when do you answer me, God? He doesn't tell him that. But I do want you to hear me right away. And he knows that God is faithful. If I've dealt with those things between me, I don't know how God is going to answer me, in what format, and what time, but I know he's going to hear me. He says, hear me speedily. This is time-sensitive, God. I'm crying out to you. You know, when you look through the life of the Israelites, so many times what happened with them? They went away from the Lord. They were worshiping idols. They got far away. But what would they do? At last, they would call out to God. And what did he say? Eh, I'll listen to you in a few years. I'm going to make you suffer a little bit. No, he heard them each and every time. And he used different challenges and struggles in other kingdoms to teach them lessons, but he heard them each and every time as soon as they called out to him. He says, Cause me, in verse 8, to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. As David's request is not that God would be more loving or more kind, but that he would take the time to recognize the goodness of God. And this is the thing we talked about. I mentioned that this morning. We think of the sacrifices of old as the Levites would come morning and evening. They would offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why? To recognize the goodness of God. We're told in Lamentations, it's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. This is great is thy faithfulness. Every morning we have new mercies of the Lord. He says, know that I may know the way wherein I should walk. If we start that each and every morning, knowing the way wherein we should walk that day. The very first psalm starts and sort of sets the tone for the whole psalms too, doesn't it? He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, sorry, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So first, the things not to do, don't walk this way, don't stand that way, don't sit that way. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is at the forefront of his mind. And it doesn't mean that he's walking around with his Bible like this all day. It means that each decision that is to be made in his life, it's made with God preeminent. I'm thinking of what God would do first. You know, one of the things we instill in our children is that when they're going to make a decision to do something, I want them to think that I'm standing right behind them. Right? Why? Because I want them to think, ooh, is this something that mom and dad would approve of? Or not. And so we teach them right from wrong. So that as they grow up and are making their own decisions, they can make the ones of some of the principles we've taught them. Well, how much more, as we're all living our lives for God, that as we're about to make a decision, that we think, is this something that would truly honor God? Would it please Him what I'm about to do right now? 
That doesn't mean that we sit down and we shut our car off in the middle of traffic and we stop at a prayer meeting beside our car. No, but it's that attitude, isn't it? What would God want me to do in this circumstance? And he says in Psalm 1-3, This man should be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Because he's been one that's meditated on the law of the Lord and followed him. Verse 9, he says, Deliver me from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. I'm not going to go out and try to do it all on myself. I'm going to encounter problems in my life, but what am I going to do about it? I'm going to turn, and I'm going to run to God. I'm going to, again, look upward, and I'm going to flee to God to hide me. Again, it's that whole breadth and length and depth and height. I'm going to be right in the middle, and if there's enemies that want to come after me, go nuts. You've got to go through him first. Because I'm in Christ. This is my protection. This is my hope. The circumstances, they're going to get bad. We're not here to promise you that things are going to be all well and good. They are going to have troubles. We are going to have trials. And we're going to be like David, where sometimes it's going to be seeming like way too much. We're overwhelmed. We're feeling downcast. But then, to look up to God and to look to him for strength. In verse 10, he says, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Teach me to do thy will. We ask sometimes, what's the will of God for our lives? But how often do we ask God, God, teach me to do your will. It's all well and good that I tell somebody what I'd like them to do. But if they don't ever do it, or they don't ask how to do it, how encouraged am I going to be? If I ask one of my employees to do something for me, or they ask, you know, Paul, I need something to do today. Uh, my, my schedule's open. What, what would you like me to do? And I give them a task. And he said, that's lovely. And they set it on their desk. And they pick up their coffee. And they start playing solitaire. What am I going to do? Well, I'm likely going to fire them. But <laughs> no, I want them to say, why aren't you doing the task? Well, I don't know how to do it. Well, maybe you could tell me that. And I'd be happy to show you how to do it, now that you actually know what you want, what I want you to do. So what he's saying, it's not just asking God, what do you want me to do? It's God, teach me to actually do it. And he's very clear in his word, some of the things that he'd like us to do. You want a good place to start? We spent some time again at the youth conference with the kids talking about this. First Thessalonians chapter 5 is one of the few places in scripture that he very specifically says, this is the will of God for you to do. So just a couple of things he tells them. One, rejoice evermore. Two, pray without ceasing. And three, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's three things. You want to get started on doing the will of God? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything. Not for everything necessarily, but in everything give thanks. Why? Because the circumstances are going to be challenging, and I'm not giving thanks every day. Oh, God, please give me a car accident today that I have something to give thanks for. But if and when they happen, I'm going to give thanks because I have a great God that's going to bring me through that. And I should be looking to actually learn something in these challenges so that as I go through them, I come through stronger on the other end. 
Verse 11, quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Quicken me. Make me alive. Sometimes we are just a valley of dry bones. We read in Ezekiel, we're just like dead people sometimes, aren't we? It's how much life we have. And so he says, God, bring me alive. Why? For your namesake. And he brings that in the end of verse 12 as well, because I am your servant. I want to follow you. I want you to give me life. I want to do your will. We have a lot of tools in the word of God that will teach us, will instruct us, will comfort us day by day. There's nothing in my life that I'm going to encounter that somebody hasn't gone through before. The principles are in the Word of God. We can see the experiences of the lives of others that we can see how faithful God truly is. Let's close in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we give thee thanks for thy Word. Lord, we give thee thanks for thy faithfulness day by day in our lives. May we recognize and appreciate thy goodness towards us, thy mercies. Lord, they're new indeed every morning. Lord, for each one here, if there's anyone that does not know you, Lord, we pray that they may recognize that there is sin between them and you and that it needs to be dealt with. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with that at the cross. And Lord, may they recognize that they need simply to believe in him. For those who know you, Lord, may we keep accounts short with you that we may confess our sins day by day that that relationship with you may grow deeper and sweeter each day. We thank you for this time we've been able to spend in your word. Part us now with your blessing and give us safe as we travel. In your son's name we pray. Amen.